And welcome to another episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his episode. That's right, where we get off the Brucestein uh, downbound train and we talk other musical obsessions. And tonight we're not only going to talk about music, but we're going to talk about fatherhood and cartooning and kickstarting and who knows what else we may cover. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me today is Wes. Welcome, Wes. Thanks, man. I'm glad to be here. So why don't you tell a little bit about yourself and then we'll dwell into your musical background. Uh, Well, like you said, I'm a cartoonist and I draw a cartoonist called Moldbashed, I verbed my last name, and uh, it's about my family. It's about my wife, Carrie, and our son, Parker, and myself, and it really focuses on uh, on me, my adventures, and fatherhood, or, or the beginning of fatherhood. The cartoon starts uh, with the birth of Parker, and kind of uh, the first year of the cartoon is kind of the first year of, of fatherhood for me, and uh, right now we're uh, working on a Kickstarter just launched it today, actually, uh, to publish the first book collection. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, so we're pretty psyched about that. Good. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about that later. When I talked to Wes, and uh, I'm a fan of the comic strip, by the way. It, it, I think it's funny. I think it's poignant. I think it, uh, much like Zitz and Calvin and Hobbes, it has that ring of truth to it. Thank you. And um, there are many times when you go, yep, I've been there. So I, I find it wonderful. And we're going to include uh, links to the Kickstarter program and uh, how to get on the mailing list. But I wanted to talk about, first off, give me your musical background. What kind of music did you listen to growing up? Uh, lots of stuff. I was really blessed with a pretty awesome, diverse musical upbringing my mom and dad both excuse me love music a lot and uh, we listened to a lot of different stuff growing up like we didn't listen to some top 40 um especially like uh before and after church we always the casey Kasem coming home from church i remember that but uh my my mom stop you right there i love casey Kasem. (laughs) that is such a wonderful joy and uh, the, for a while there, the um, Sirius was replaying those on the 70s channel. Yeah. And I got to tell you, they held up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was fascinating. So, okay, continue on. No, no. Um, so, yeah, it was a lot of stuff. But my mom loved um, John Mellencamp. Okay. I can remember listening to his records as a kid. And my dad liked um, older country, like Merle Haggard and Waylon Jennings, and there was like this bluegrass band, um, Flatt and Scruggs, Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs, and we would uh, listen to that in in his truck. And So I had like this kind of, um, I was listening to stuff that like my friends, their dads were all listening to like 70s hard rock and 80s hard rock, and my dad was listening to this old country music, and my mom was listening to John Cougar Mellencamp. And then 
Um, we listened to a lot of, uh, what else? We listened to um, Tom Petty. Um, my grandma loved jazz music, so she introduced me to a lot of jazz. So I fell in love with jazz music when I was in junior high school. So this Harry Connick Jr. and um, that became like Oscar Peterson and um, who else? Man, there's t- so many bands, so much sure. music I listen to. That's uh, very cool. Yeah. Um, when did you graduate from high school? What year? Uh, 1999. Okay, so you're a youngin. <laughs> uh, so, but um, you don't feel so young once you have that kid, do you? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. How much of this has stuck with you now that you're in an adulthood? Do you kind of still have a lot of diverse? Yeah. Or do you, have you kind of singled into a few favorite bands? I think, like, I listen to, I have a pretty diverse okay. taste. And uh, I, th- I, <clears throat> I think that my taste is even more diverse than my parents. And, but it's because of them. I remember my dad telling me, that, like, in high school, all his friends listened to Aerosmith, which my dad likes Aerosmith, but he loved Elvis Presley. And, his, and he would tell me his buddies would make fun of him because he liked Elvis Presley, but he didn't care because he loved Elvis Presley. And so it kind of, you know, my dad's a confident guy, and that kind of bled over to me where I didn't care. I, this obscure music that, you know, and when I was in junior high, you know, all my friends were listening to Nirvana, and I was just consumed with Harry Connick Jr. I just thought he was freaking amazing. But it was, you know, no one understood that. But I, but I loved it. and. Uh, <clears throat> and, and now I still do. I love having this diverse taste in music. And, and, and so I still, you know, I love Johnny Cash. I have a couple uh, vinyls of his. And um, I like, uh, my, when I was in um, high school, my mom started listening to a lot of Enya. And uh, I actually used to tease her about it. But I'll be dang, man, that music is relaxing. That is great to work to. And so I have some of uh, Enya's music on my computer. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff that, um, my parents introduced me to that I still listen to like Tom Petty. My mom was a huge Tom Petty fan and, um, I fell in love with Tom Petty because of, of her love of Tom Petty. In fact, my first concert I ever went to was Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. It was still one of my favorite shows I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, man, like there's a lot that, uh, I still listen to from when I was a kid and then there's more and, and I think that my parents having such an open taste for music encouraged me to have an open taste for music so uh, I've, I've just kind of got a pretty wide range of musicians I listen to. Interesting so you mentioned going to see Tom Petty um, do you have other favorite concert memories? Uh, yeah a few, I, I feel like I like to think of myself as a bit of a music nerd, but I certainly haven't been to as many concerts as some of my music nerd friends have been to. But um, I'd say the most memorable concerts, uh, I saw the Mighty Mighty Boss Tunes when I was a senior. And they were one of my, they still are one of my favorite bands. There's a metal ska band for you that I love. And um, they put on a heck of a concert, man. It was awesome. I actually got to meet Dickie Barrett, the lead singer of the band. He drew a picture of me, which is, yeah, I still have it framed. It's, I'm pretty pretty fond of that. And and uh, it was just a cool venue. It was a, um, it was like a, a, a Catholic university in Cincinnati. 
and I cannot remember the name of it, but I remember the tickets were like cheap, they're like 20 bucks. And um, I found out about it the last minute and got some of my buddies together. We went down to Cincinnati and, and saw the show. And, and I remember getting there and they had like these flyers everywhere that said, no mosh pitting. And uh, that's, that's what uh, Dickie Barrett drew a picture of. He grabbed, he pulled one of those flyers off the wall and drew a picture of me on the back of Yeah. <laughs> so, and there was still moshing. I don't know how hard it is to control and I'm not a huge fan of that either. I'm one of those people, like I've been to a couple of heavy metal concerts and stuff where that kind of thing is happening. And I always stay near the back because I know that that's sort of like people, and I don't know why people enjoy doing that, but I like the music. Yeah. And I'm there to kind of like just pay, like I really want to just feel the music and kind of get into my vibe. And then you got these people trying to knock each other out. It's never been my, yeah something I've been excited about. But that was a fun concert. Okay. And, um, another one that was memorable was um, um, we went to see uh, a band called Guster, and uh, and John Mayer was actually the headliner, but I wanted to see Guster, and it was during that concert actually um, it was a there was an opening act Martin Sexton. That's where I discovered Martin Sexton, who's a fantastic singer songwriter. If you've never heard of the guy, um, you need to listen to him. You'd love him. Um, wonderful musician. And uh, so I discovered him that night. Guster put on a heck of a show. John Mayer, um, this was like when Room for Squares, that album had just come out. The Body is a Wonderland and uh, No Such Thing were like the hits. And uh, he was arrogant back then too, man. He's, he's probably uh, one of the most arrogant people in music in my opinion. Uh, he makes great music, but uh, I really didn't care much for his show. He just, it was... Uh, I just didn't really care for, I guess it was his personality kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But, uh, yeah, it was memorable for the wrong reasons. And then um, Dave Matthews' band is probably one of my favorite bands of all times. And I've seen them three times. And uh, the probably the most memorable um, moment from a Dave Matthews concert, um, they have a song called JTR. And there's a refrain that says, rain, rain down, rain down on me. And I don't know, I'm, I have to, I, I don't know if they planned it or what, but uh, it did start to rain at this concert and they went immediately into that song and it was pretty, pretty rad, pretty rad timing. And uh, it's a, it's a wonderful song too. So that's probably the top three memories for me. Well, that sounds pretty cool. So I have to ask, where are you in terms of Springsteen? <clears throat> definitely a fan probably not as big as you are but uh, <laughs> my parents listened to bruce springsteen i've got some bruce springsteen in my collection um certainly familiar with uh, most of his hits okay some of his uh some of his deep tracks if you will okay um, he's got a song that um what is that song about uh he did acoustic version around 9-11 uh, city of it. ruins or, that's it yes, yes. that okay. song that song is haunting and beautiful i love that jam that's cool and you know you a lot of diverse music i'm gonna pull up martin sexton's he, he's got a website and so i'll include that in the show notes as well are there any albums or songs that are significant to you maybe you know because of family life 
uh, you and your lovely bride, or maybe as a father you want to share about? Oh, man, there's so many. I'd say if I go back to, you know, I don't know when it was for you, when like you first, when music, like, okay, music, you enjoy music. I can't think of a time when I didn't enjoy music, but there's this time in your life where it becomes like you identify with it. I think that's what it is. Like you're in junior high and you're starting to, you know, you're going through certain puberty, these things are changing. And then all of a sudden music takes on like this new meaning and you start to like identify by the type of music you listen to or the certain band that you like or whatever it is. And so for me, like my junior high years, like Harry Conk Jr. was part of that, but Tom Petty was as well, like, and maybe more so. And I remember when I was in eighth grade was when the Wildflowers album came out. And I still think that is the best album he has ever made. Okay. I mean, front to back, that album is fantastic. Lyrically, it's just great. Musically, it's fantastic. Just absolutely love that record. And then in high school, I fell in love with ska music, like in the uh, mid-90s which is sort of scoffed at now, like people tease you, but I still enjoy the music. I thought it was a lot of fun. And uh, I loved the Mighty Mighty Boss Tunes um, and their record, Let's Face It, which was probably their their biggest record. It's the one MTV played all the time. But um, it actually, like, that's how I discovered them. And, you know, I live in a small town. There's not a lot going on. So when I would fall in love with something, I'd try to research it as much as I could and I ended up going back. They had a ton of albums prior to that record, and I went back and bought all those and and uh, learned as much as I could about the band. But that record in particular, I remember there were a lot of. Uh, I I worked at a pizza shop, and when I was in high school, and I can remember late nights coming home with that that CD cranked clear up, singing at the top of my lungs on the way home. Those are some fun memories. And then I'd say, in my late teens, early twenties is when I really started to appreciate Dave Matthews band and um, as a band that like uh, that I'd always liked but when I started to learn how to play the guitar learning how complex that instrument was it, it kind of brought a brand new appreciation for music and especially for his music and uh, and, and ever since then I've been a very big Dave Matthews band fan so I'd say uh, the album for Dave Matthews band would be um, crash that record is is pretty fantastic it's still one of my favorites of his all right very cool tell me about it on your kickstarter you talk about that when you started dating your wife that you you've always kind of drawn for her so talk to me about your i guess your origin story about i I have a good friend named tom zoller who does? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I know Tom. Okay. So love and capes and uh, long distance and you know he, I've been lucky enough to be, get to be pretty good friends with him and you know he says as long as he can remember, all he's wanted to do is draw, and and he never had a doubt that's what he wanted to do for a living. Um, so how about you? Have you always had this desire to create to draw? Tell me a little about that. Yeah, I know that feel. Like since I was a kid, I've always enjoyed drawing. In fact, when I was nine years old, is when I discovered you can make a living drawing cartoons. I was watching 
I don't know if you remember back in the day during Saturday morning cartoons, um, after the cartoons were ever, at least in the 80s, late 80s, they had uh, like this weekend edition of Entertainment Tonight. and uh, I do they, remember that. Yeah, and it was like the, it wasn't Mary Hart and John Tesh, it was some, you know, the off-brand anchors that were trying to get their foot in the door or whatever, but um, they would have, uh, they, they did, I was, it was one Saturday morning, cartoons were over, the weekend edition of Entertainment Tonight was on, they were doing a segment on the making of The Little Mermaid, uh, Disney's Disney movie that came out in 89, and um, they were interviewing Glenn Keane, who was the, I believe was the animation director on that movie, he, he animated Ariel, and so they're talking to him, and he's showing, doing some flip-throughs of aerial animation art and uh that's when it dawned on me that this guy's job was drawing cartoons and so ever since then i had been learning i started immediately trying to learn everything i could about animation and then i discovered calvin hobbs when i was in junior high and i fell in love with uh, newspaper comics and learned everything i could about the newspaper comic business and uh yeah just fell in love with creating comic strips really you know you could create your whole world, all the characters, you directed it, you were in complete control of it, and that really excited me. And so, yeah, ever since I was a kid, I've, I've known that's what I wanted to do. You know, people would ask me in school, my teachers and guidance counselors, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'd tell them I want to be a cartoonist. People thought that was pretty cool. I didn't really get a lot of ridicule from that. I've heard horror stories from other cartoonists, but I was pretty pretty lucky. You know, I've never had that burning desire to be anything. You know, growing up, I just kind of drifted into somehow got into customer service, though I make the joke no one ever plans to get into customer service. <laughs> and then uh-huh. all of a sudden you find you're good at it and work it. That's mm-hmm. kind of neat. You are not a full-time cartoonist, are you? No, no, I'm not. Okay. I actually work at a church full-time. Um, which is also a pretty creative job. I wear a lot of hats there. And yes. then I do Mole Bash in the evening. One of my favorite podcasts, and I, I guess we call it a brother-in-law podcast, is Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet. And Rob Carmack and J.B. Clark are the two that host it. And Rob is a pastor of a church here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, and so, And then I've had... Um, a rabbi on the show. Um, so it, I seem to be collecting spiritual people in my Springsteen journey, um, which I think is absolutely beautiful and wonderful. Bruce Springsteen um, transcends all fates. There you a- go. <laughs> absolutely. Um, he also transcends all sports allegiance. Uh, <laughs> the Philly Elvis, that's the name he gave it. He's, he was, uh, Nick is an Elvis impersonator. Uh-huh. And um, he's many times said, I can't believe I'm friends with a Dallas Cowboy fan. <laughs> and I said, yes, Bruce transcends. Um, yeah. uh, I sounds like you've always been creative. I see based on my research, you've actually had already illustrated some books before you started doing the strip. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was this your first shot at a comic strip or some kind of storytelling? Uh, no, not at all. I've, I've been, you know, I've been publishing comic strips online for about ten years. Okay. Um, prior to that, I've been I had uh, comic strips in uh, my school news newspaper, then the, the local newspaper, 
And then in the early 20s to mid-20s, a lot of that time was spent pitching to newspaper syndicates. And then um, my, I had a cartoon called You'll Have That about a young married couple. So and, – and I really loved your – on You'll Have That, you, it, you know, it was a lot of relationship humor, right? Yeah. Really and, a lot like what I'm doing now. It really was, but once you became a dad, though, was this just a creative outlet for you to share things that brought you joy, that brought you frustration, or why did you decide to do a book, uh, a, a strip about fatherhood? It, you're you're right. It started out that way. Here, here's I was doing a cartoon called Insert Image for about a year and a half. I I was trying to do something completely different for me anyway. Whereas trying to I I did you'll have that and then I did a cartoon called Max versus Max and these comics were very like they were very much based on me. And I wanted to get away from that for a bit. I was kind of tired of the self-exploratory trying to get deep into my psyche, kind of burying my soul kind of thing. So I kind of want to do uh, a cartoon that was more fun, upbeat. Not that those cartoons weren't fun, but something that was more, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, like ephemeral, like throwaway. So I did this cartoon called Insert Image. It's about these two cats that worked in a church, and they basically made fun of, of Christ, the Christian subcultures. A lot to make fun of there. And uh, so I made fun of that. I did that cartoon for about a year and a half. And uh, it started to become something I didn't want it to be. I didn't want it to be this thing that, you know, there's a lot of people who are sarcastic toward the church and they kind of, it gets to the point where it starts to tear it down instead of, you're part of the problem instead of part of the solution. Yes. <laughs> and and I, I didn't want to be that. Right. You, you won't, don't want to be, you want to acknowledge, but this out of love, not out of hate. Exactly. You know, the the fun stories, the, the humor that's there, but never getting it where it goes past that line. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, that makes sense. And so I decided to end that. I felt like I'd said everything I need to say with it anyway. And so I kind of wrapped that one up and I was in this sort of, uh, in between where, you know, Parker, my son was, was very young. Still, well, he's still young, but he was like a year uh, old at the time. And, um, I was kind of uh, in a creative rut, not really sure what to do, but I just, I just was itching. I wanted to make something. Right. And so I decided just as an experiment just to scratch the itch to draw some cartoons about uh, Carrie, me, Carrie, and Parker and post them on Facebook and just do it like once a week and see what kind of reaction I would get. And I got really positive reaction, and I feed off of people reacting to my comic. That's like you know, that is like the validation I need to create. So when people respond positively, it just, it just encourages me. And so, um, I started drawing up, I just, just started drawing it regularly instead of just something being sporadic. I started doing it on a schedule once a week. And then I said, well, what if I drew up 24 of these bad boys and shipped them off to a newspaper syndicate just to see what they'd say and go comics, which is the online arm of, Universal Press Syndicate asked if I'd, they liked it and they offered me a contract with them. And so that it felt legit then. So then I decided to go ahead and do a three-day-a-week three, three day a week 
comic strip, relaunch it as mole bashed and, and make it color. And, uh, and the rest is history there. Um, the, there is a lot of humor in, uh, fatherhood and parents and, um, it, because this, I don't know about you, but I am, I am 57 years old. My son is now 27 and I still do not feel like a grown up at times. <laughs> Good. Right. That gives me hope. Yeah. And, and I, I wonder sometimes, am I ever going to feel that way? And, and I guess maybe I won't and that's okay. Um, and there is a lot of, you know, I was almost 30 when we had Chris and I realized that by the time my mom was 30, she had had three of us. She had had me, my sister and my brother. And you realize, like my mom was 19 when she had me, um, and I was almost 30 and didn't know what I was doing. How in the world did they do this? And and there's so much you don't know as a parent, and there's so much you make up as you go along that um, I think this is a really creative way to handle with that, you know, your fears and your doubts and your humor just to throw it in there because it you know as fodder to help stay sane you know a lot of it too is like you put your insecurity in a comic and you throw it out there and you're really hoping for somebody to go me too that like then you don't feel like such a loser when someone else reads their cartoon where i'm like like i do a cartoon about the time i clip parker's finger with the fingernail clippers yeah. nipped them oh and i felt terrible and i drew a cartoon about that about how i felt like the worst father ever and that like the response i got to that comic was the people who said i've done that too it's okay and then the people saying uh get back in the saddle because i wrote a big essay about how i've had a really hard time clipping his fingernails ever since then and really, honestly, the response to that really did encourage me. I know it sounds corny, but I, the, I, the night that that posted, the day that posted, that night I clipped my son's fingernails for the first time in months because the people online were like, Wes, you got this, man. Just jump back in the saddle. So there is a lot of uh, uh, kind of therapy that happens when you when you bury your soul a little bit inside of a comic strip, kind of weird how that works out. No, it makes sense, Wes. I will tell you that when Chris was a baby, I started realizing that if I'm in a room with another person that has a child, it doesn't matter the income disparity, the society. Like, I believe, and I made this joke, I believe I could be in a room with Queen Elizabeth and we could talk kids and we would find common ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I say that like I, I've told people like I don't care who you are, what your beliefs are, um, what background you have. If you love your wife and you love your kids, you and I have a lot to talk about. And, uh, and I, I firmly believe that. Yeah, I do too. Um, I can, you know, 
uh, I can Linda told the story that you know she set Chris on the bed to change him. He flipped over. He'd never flipped over before. You know, hits the ground, mm. and she feels like she's the worst mom in the world. Um, you know, I'm I misunderstood, and the the doctor told us to put Vaseline around his, the the sore around his belly button, but mm -hmm. I thought she said rubbing alcohol to dry it out. <laughs> you know, so I'm putting rubbing alcohol, you know, and he's just screaming buddy murder. <laughs> and, you know, my wife's like, what are you doing? I thought that's what she said. Um, and it is a, it is a cliche, but it's true. Guardian angel works extra hard for kids. Oh, no doubt. I mean, no doubt. Uh, they built them extra sturdy to put up with that. Yeah. Um, so how long have you been doing the strip? Uh, this one I've been doing is it's young. It's, I've only been, it's less than a year old. I started in August of 2015 and I'm, I'm, I'm dividing the, I'm doing like a season seasonal approach to the comic strip, kind of like a TV season. So the first season will end at the end of April. And so the first book will collect that whole season. And I'm going to take three months off to not really taking off from the comic. I'll be writing and prepping for the second season, which will begin uh, in August of this year. And Wes, are you trying to do real time? Yeah. Actually, it's the comic strip is two years behind real life. Um, so when the book picks up or when the season two picks up uh, in August, we'll be celebrating Parker's first birthday. Uh, but in real life, we'll be celebrating his third. OK, that make that makes a little sense. Um, once again, as we talked about, you know, that's what Tom did with Love and Capes. He built the six issue miniseries kind of as a season where each book is individual but tells a complete story and you know i think that's one of the challenges of doing a strip is you can tell a longer story but you have to make sure that those three panels or two panels whatever you're doing is a standalone story yeah. that is the challenge absolutely so talk to me about your Kickstarter campaign. It just kicked off. Mm -hmm. uh, where can people find it? What's it under? It's under uh, comics. Uh, it should be under, I think it's under the web comics heading, but it's under, um, it's definitely under the comics uh, category. Um, but yeah, went live today. And the goal is uh, we need to raise $12,500. My gosh, it makes me makes me almost embarrassed to seems like such a gaudy number, but, uh, that is the bare minimum I need to, uh, print the book and, and to, and to print it to my specifications. I ain't going to lie to you about that. Like I could make a cheaper book, but I want this book to look nice. It's going to have a nice high quality, like a, a hefty cover to it. Uh, nice finish, heavy, uh, interior weight papers. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be sharp. You know, you do not get the whole twelve thousand five hundred dollars. Yeah, that's uh, true. You know, there there are pieces that go out and take, and um, and I do appreciate that you're trying to do it the right way. The and so this will be basically season one. This will be the first year's worth of strips that takes 
Parker up to birth to one year. What does Carrie, your bride, think about you uh, putting her in the strip? Well, I have I have strict rules uh, about how to depict Carrie, but uh, actually that was uh, while I was developing the comic. Um, I actually had I had her character more like more realized, I think, in the early phases, and uh, and that made uh, my wife uncomfortable. I was in. There's things like, you know, I work really hard to work within the bounds of what I think is good taste and and um, what I don't, you know, the things that I don't have a problem sharing, I assume other people won't have a problem sharing. And and so when I was letting Carrie uh, review the comics, she, she told me there's there's a handful that she wanted me to change or, or not publish. And, and at first, it you know, it aggravated me, but then I realized, you know, if my wife wanted to create a comic strip about her, she'd do it herself. She doesn't need me to do it. So um, I changed the, uh, the, the focus of the comic uh, to be more about me than about Carrie and Parker. They're kind of the secondary characters to, to my lead. And I, I, actually, I think that's the right way to do it. I think that's the, it's more natural that way. Um, and, uh, and, and I think uh, Carrie has just enough of the spotlight that she's um, she's comfortable. She's comfortable with with how I depict her right now. Um, but yeah, we we did have to have a have a conversation about boundaries uh, for her in the comic strip, which uh, kind of interesting. She's very much an introvert, and uh, and she's very very um, intelligent. She's very she's a uh, she's a counselor by day she's a social worker and um so she's very in tune with like uh um th- like psychology like the way people think and and what's like mental behaviors i guess and so uh you know she's very she's always been very open with me about how she feels like her insecurities with different things and and explaining why and she, she's a great communicator, so it's it's hard to be offended when she asks you to change something because she gives you a very clear reason as to why it makes her uncomfortable. And, and uh, as her husband, yes. I respect that and love her for it. Absolutely. So, Wes, I had a, a ulterior motive. Um, I tend to be pretty open. Um, I'm doing a podcast. I share. Mm-hmm. A lot about myself. Um, I tend to, um, you know, share my emotional journeys, both on Twitter and in Facebook. And you know, my wife believes the internet is evil. And yeah. um, <laughs> my and gosh, I cannot, we should get our wives together. Yes, and I cannot tell you how often, um, till I learned, what were you thinking posting that photo on mm. Facebook? Yep. You know we look horrible. Yeah. I said, well, all it did me is it reminds me that we were all down in Houston attending a ball game and, you know, sharing this great family time. And she goes, Oh, now I feel crappy that I just, you know, I'm saying I don't want it because I look bad. (laughs) So, um, I make the joke, I'm single on Facebook. And then, then, um, and when we're at an event, I will, is this Facebook worthy? 
yeah. no. <laughs> or yeah. like, yes, yes, that is Facebook worthy. In fact, I like that photo. You can post it. So, um, in, so I, and I think I like how you've done this is, you know, mole bashed is the father's journey. And this is a fictionalized version of your life, not a true uh, version yes, of your life. Absolutely. There's a lot based on truth, but I take a lot of liberties with it. Yes. And as it, well, it should be. Uh, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Mm -hmm. Right. And right. so um, because if everything goes smooth, that makes for a wonderful home life, but a boring <laughs> strip. Truth. truth. <laughs> absolutely. Um is there a stories that you're especially proud of during this first season? Um, I like the, um, some of the one-off, like the sort of like the, uh, the, like the tips for fatherhood and the, and the date night tips. Those are kind of fun to draw and conceptualize because they're all things I feel like the date night strips, I feel strongly about that. I think date nights are important. Uh, just spending time with your spouse, like making intentional time, whether you go out or whatever you do, if you just make a time where it's just you and your spouse and you can pour it into each other. I know it's difficult depending on different seasons of life we're in, but um, I just felt strongly about that and, and do feel strongly about that. So those strips were fun to draw. And then there was one about um, the best – or excuse me, the, yeah, the best um, gifts you'll get at your baby shower that you don't realize. And uh, it's like boxes of diapers and wipes and the, the, the diaper cream and then zip-up onesies because button-up onesies are from hell. And uh, so, that, you know, there's a couple of those strips, man. They really um, were a lot of fun. And I I had a, I, I think I still have it somewhere on my hard drive, um, you know, 27 years ago when we were pregnant. I, I did not get, why did we get so many receiving blankets, you know? <laughs> and, and I actually created a top 10 list of the things you use a receiving blanket for because you use them for everything. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they are, you can't get enough of them because yeah. they do get messed up and, you know, I, to use, to make a shade in the car, you know, to, um, to use a cape and make the little kid, a, you know, a super man. And I, I had this whole list. So I, I, that is a funny strip. One of the things that I love about the strip is the, the matter of fact, um, emphasis you put on the character's faith and how it's part of their lives, but you don't, it is not quote unquote preachy, not that preachy is necessarily bad, but I think you found the really right tone of, you know, that this is a father, you know, that he is a father, you know, struggling in his life journey to be a strong husband and a strong dad, but his faith is part of that. And I like that. Well, first of all, thank you for that, because that is something I really, that's a, that's a, that's tension right there that I have to balance because I don't want to be preaching. I don't want it to be this evangelical thing. Nothing I've ever created, like my faith is important to me in my personal life. And that, and I, and as a creative person that spills into whatever I create. And that's been like that since 
I first started drawing comics. And I can remember very young in my faith, being in youth groups, you know, and you have church leaders telling you, you know, you should draw Christian comics. And I'm like, what the heck is a Christian comic? And, and you know, I would find magazines like at the Christian bookstore or little books, like little novelty books at a Christian bookstore or something. And they were so stupid. The, the cartoons, that the examples I found were just so bad. I'm like, I don't want to make these. And then when you try to, I remember trying to make Christian cartoons and trying to make them that where I thought they were funny and submitting them to these magazines. And they were all soundly rejected because they were too edgy. They were too, there's like this fine line because you don't want to tick off the church people. But at the same time, you really can't say anything of substance unless you do say something, like you say something edgy to get their attention and make a point. Anyway, I just really realized really quickly that wasn't what I wanted to do because you had to be saccharine if you had to like sway, like Molbash is pretty saccharine, but you had to be like super sweet saccharine if you wanted to make quote unquote Christian comics in these small time magazines. But Nevertheless, my faith does make it into my comics, and I've never wanted to be uh, to, to use my comics to evangelize. I think that's a cheap way to do it. But I think there's not a lot of content out there, TV, movies, comics, otherwise, where people where you have people of faith, and it's just like this guy. That's it's a, like a it's not like this big thing. So like, here's this person and this guy is a person of faith and he prays and works in a church and that's and that's the, and the story is about him yeah you know what i mean that's, i do i totally understand and i i think that's really well done and i as i said i applaud that balance and i'm sure it is hard to do it's okay we're we're getting close to any time do you have some do you have a mixtape in mind? Not that there will be tapes when Parker's old enough to listen to music, but uh, are there a few songs that you're going to teach him so that he can sing along with? Man, that is that is so tough. There's so many songs, man. Okay, I'm going to try to give you some. All right, but just know this is not an, this is not an easy question to answer. I understand totally, was. I'd have to say Dave Matthews Band "Ants Marching." Okay, is a good one. I'd love for him, let's see, let's think here. I'd love for him, to, the Johnny Cash, the Unchained record, the American Recordings Unchained record. Are you familiar yes. with this record? Yes. And it has Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers as the backing band. It's freaking fantastic. Yes. If he could sing, even if he doesn't like, because I don't know all the words, but the song, I've Been Everywhere. Yeah. Just, if he can... Uh, sing the chorus and then attempt to do the verses with me and laugh till we pee because we can't then that would be great and then you wreck me off tom petty's wildflowers record okay there's three there's three tracks on the mixtape okay that's nice that's a nice mix thank you yeah that's you know it is kind of interesting and you know what would be funny is he will figure out what he loves, right? And and it will yeah. be interesting. That's great. Good. All right. Uh, how can people, if they want to find you and reach you, how can they? 
The easiest way is to find me at my website, molebashed.com. That's M-O-L-E-B-A-S-H-E-D.com. Okay. And I know you can sign up to very conveniently get the script sent uh, in your inbox. Yep. Uh, how often are they coming out? Um, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I thought that was three times a week. Very nice. Yep. Um, are you already thinking about what you want to do in season two? I certainly am. Yep. I've actually been keeping um, notes uh, throughout the year. I okay. keep them, I divide it up by months. And so I've got a, a framework for what I want to write for season okay. two. And uh, so if they go to your website, they can find your Facebook link, your Twitter account, everything there, correct? Yep. I'm all over social media. You'll find it all okay. right there at that website. Very nice. Um, Wes, thank you so much for taking time. I wish you a lot of success on the Kickstarter. It is molebashed-season-1. It's easy to find. There'll be a link for the Kickstarter. Um, very reasonable for um, the early bird for $20. You get a, uh, a trade paperback of book. Yep, and signed. Then, yep. Yeah, so, which is awesome. So uh, we wish you a lot of luck. Thank you so much. Um, no problem. And if you want to be on the podcast and talk about Bruce or your favorite band and all that implies, send me an email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page and a Twitter account. Please check both of those out. They are Set Lusting Bruce. And I would appreciate so much you going to iTunes to rate and review us. This truly does help people find us. Um, Wes, uh, from one dad to another, well done. Uh, hang in there. Um, in about 15 years, um, you can call me to say, Jesse, how did I get through this teenage stuff? <laughs> We're going to end with, now and again, I get the feeling, well, if I don't win, I'm going to break even. Rescue me, should I go wrong? If I dig too deep, if I stay too long... Oh, yeah, you wreck me, baby. You break me in two, but you move me, honey. Yes, you do. Classic. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs> I was toting my pack along the dusty Winnemucca Road When along came a semi with a high-end canvas-covered load If you're going to Winnemucca Mac with me, you can ride and so I climbed into the cab and then I settled down inside He asked me if I'd seen a road with so much dust and sand And I said, listen, I've traveled every road in this here land I've been everywhere, man, I've been everywhere, man Across the deserts, bare man, I breathe the mountain air, man I've traveled, I've had my share, man, I've been everywhere I've been to Reno, Chicago, Fargo, Minnesota, Buffalo, Toronto, Winslow, Sarasota, Wichita, Tulsa, Ottawa, Oklahoma, Tampa, Panama, Mattawa, La Paloma, Bangor, Baltimore, Salvador, Amarillo, Tocopilla, Barranquilla, and Padilla, I'm a killer, I've been everywhere, man. I met you at Mid-OhioCon. Is that uh, right? I'm the short, fat guy that was in Tom's booth, Jesse Jackson. I, yes, I do remember that. <laughs> Okay. And I remember. Yes, I remember you. Yes, and and when you said you knew Tom, I'm like, wait a minute. So I'm scrolling through your website right now, going, <laughs> is that the guy? 
I love that strip. Uh, and so, how very a, funny. A, yes. Such a small world. Goodness yes, sake. indeed. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 